Welcome, everyone. We are here. We are happy. We are human. And most of all, we are book smitten. We're so glad that you're here with us today as we are diving into all things kid lit. I am Kelly J. Baptist, and today's topic is books we love and wish we could have been reading when we were children. And I am Jack Chang here in Detroit. I'm Patrick Flores Scott in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I am Heather Shoemaker up north in Traverse City, and together we are Book Smitten. So books that we loved as kids, I think we're all readers as well as writers. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, as I'm reading books, I come across a title that I think, oh my gosh, I would have loved this as an 11-year-old. I wish this had been written back in the day and I checked the copyright and it was you know, published in the past couple of years. Or sometimes it was something published in the 90s. By then I was in in college and out of college. So uh, there's books that ha- keep coming out. There's oldies and goodies, but there's new ones. Um, so there's a title that I'd love to share, which is When My Name Was Kieko, and that's by Linda Sue Park. And I don't know, um, I think a lot of people know Linda Sue Park's writing. Um, she won a Newbery and she has a lot of books on a lot of topics out there, but this is one of hers that's near to my heart. And I don't think a lot of people know about it, but it's one that I'd recommend. Adults love it when I recommend it, and so do kids. Have any of you read When My Name Was Kieko? No, but I'd love to hear about it. Same. <laughs> so it, it's a book set in Korea during the um, Japanese occupation during World War II. And so I had, you know, sometimes when you're, especially when you're a kid growing up, you get a dose of history about, say, World War II, and it's focused in a certain area. Well, I didn't learn a lot about the whole Pacific side of the war. And I certainly didn't know that Korean kids and families were asked to change their names to a Japanese names, that they weren't allowed to speak Korean, that they even had to dig up the kind of Uh, plants that they had in their yard so that they didn't have plants that represented Korea and Korean pride, but represented Japan and the Japanese empire. Just all the little daily things and is told from the perspective of an elementary school child. Um, It brings very serious matters home to a level that elementary middle school kids and and, and adults um, can begin to grapple with. And I think it's a beautiful beautiful story of humanity and um, difficult times in in the world and in a family. That sounds amazing. Mm. I'll have to read that. Uh, a Single Shard, um, which is also one of uh, Linda Supark's books. That's the one that I believe won the Newbery uh, Medal. Um, it's just like one of my favorites. And it's one of those books that is just, it's written in such a brisk pace too. It, the story just like moves so fast. And it's about this uh, this boy in Korea who sort of becomes interested in like pottery. And so he's sort of un- unwittingly or maybe unwittingly isn't the right word, but he, he kind of like um, falls into apprenticeship with like a master potter. And it's just beautifully written. And it's set in, in medieval Korean times. I mean, it's not a right. modern story. So that's fascinating in and of itself. Wow. What's amazing and, and what I admire so much about like the great authors that are a part of our era right now is this ability to bring Korean medieval times to, to life in a way that a kid 
could handle right now. I think there's just writer magic and 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 craft and hard work that goes into making that happen. And as a writer who focuses really strongly on contemporary, um, modern, uh, realistic fiction, that that just blows me away when an author can can do that. Mm-hmm. So, what are some books that you wish that that had been around when? Or maybe they were around and you just never got around to reading them when you were a kid. I I think it's really hard. I, I've I've mentioned before. I think that I was a struggling reader in terms of like focus and and ability to attend um, to what I'm reading. And I think what wasn't around for me that is around for my kids is is graphic novels. Mm. And they really got hooked to Captain Underpants, and they're so silly and so ridiculous. But they've been uh, a gateway drug <laughs> to Telgemeier, who wrote the drama and all the smile and Roller Girl. They got into really early and that's been really amazing. I just think I would have benefited from those stories, like liking somebody who likes realistic and contemporary fiction and somebody who maybe needed some role models of watching people go through difficult things in their lives as they're a kid. So they've red roller girl and there's a new brilliant beautiful one that i think jameson illustrated about two boys in a refugee camp in africa who end up uh just surviving that to to make it to the u.s and and like wow they got there from captain underpants and i and jerry craft they've gotten into the new kid and uh what's the the new one called it's class act class act we've got yeah they were they were like oh my gosh it's the new jerry craft book they got it for christmas they were like (laughs) so excited but I've read them too and I get emotional reading those books and they're like Captain Underpants is the gateway to these other more brilliant more um, emotionally complex books that are going to be the great way to emotionally complex novels so I, I feel like they're really lucky to have that and as somebody who struggled with attention in reading I know that before I could realize that I didn't know what was going on, you know, in the situation back then, in Roller Girl, I'd be on page 15 (laughs) and sucked into the story. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I wish I would have had back then is that. Yeah. And also with the graphic novels, I mean, you can you can breeze through them really quickly because there's not generally as many words. But if you do that, it's such a disservice because the art tells so much story and having the combination and the mindset to say, you know what, books are more than just words that they can be. I know a lot of adults a little bit older than I am are pretty looking down their noses at graphic novels and, you know, having the old, that's just a comic book. That's not real reading. They're not using their imaginations. It's a different way of using imaginations. And I think it's uh some of that artwork is tremendous as far as storytelling goes, too. Yeah, I think for some of those adults, if they would just sit down and read The New Kid and find that lump in their throat at times and just kind of holding back that little cry, <laughs> like they would realize the power, the power that these books have, that it's just another way of telling stories. But it is reading. You're reading the picture. You're reading the text. You're reading, you're reading the world through the, the picture and the text. And these these author artists are able to just get us to this deep and powerful place in very few words and very few pages. And it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I missed out, but I'm, I'm making up 
making up uh, for lost time by reading my children's, <laughs> my two boys. I'm reading their books and loving it. So, Patrick, do, what was the first maybe book that you remember really latching onto as a kid? Do you do you still remember what the first? Yeah, the first book that really captivated you, being a you know a struggling reader at that time. I mean, it maybe wasn't until high school, like the the Outsiders. Mm. I think was maybe the book that really sucked me in, and like, it's interesting. Written by a teenager too. Written by a teenager. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I believe she was fifteen. We'd have to double check that. Yeah. But talk about authentic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally authentic. Totally authentic. I was. Uh, my mom's from South America, so. We were on a trip from Montevideo, Uruguay, Uruguay, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, on a bus that broke down for hours on the side of the road, and I just happened to have that book uh, with me. Uh, and who knows if I ever would have read it otherwise, because uh, I was such a struggling. But I just sat there, nothing else to do, and cranked out The Outsiders, and I was enthralled. So yeah. that was that was maybe it. Wow. Wow. And and my boys will will be able to answer that question and tell you a book that they were captivated by when they were six mm. or seven. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm jealous of that retroactively, but uh. I, I don't know. I, I had my own, the own, ben, own, you know, the benefits to my childhood were different than the things that they've gotten. So it's no big deal. But as a writer now, like, I just want to be the writer that writes that book that sucks in a struggling reader more than anything. Mm. It's an awesome story. What about you, Kelly? For me, in terms of books that I've read recently that I wish I had as a kid, I'm going to go the picture book route, Hair Love by Matthew Cherry and also crown and ode to the fresh cut by Derek Barnes. And that's Mm. simply because in the black community, hair is just so important. And it's such an experience, whether you are a girl or a boy to have your hair done. And it's a process. And to be able to see that in art form and also word form, um, I remember experiences where my mom was gone or she was somewhere and it's my dad trying to do our hair and it was not as smooth. It was not um, as as painless. Um, so I could definitely relate to that reading Hair Love. And um, even now that I have cut all my hair off, which is another story, um, my dad was upset when we did that just because hair is a big thing. Um, but going to barbershops now, first time experience doing that and just seeing the transformation that happens um, when young boys, I mean, they'll be six or seven and their mom send them in with the money and they're interacting with their barber and, you know, just the camaraderie mm-hmm. and just a source of strength in the community that barbershops have typically been. It's been amazing to see that. And I think my younger self would have really enjoyed reading uh, those two books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's a lot of, particularly in the picture book realm, a lot of picture books celebrating, I think, black hair and, mm-hmm. and pride and sense of, you know, this is me from a very young age. And that was so missing. Um, there was a little bit in the 1970s of a resurgence of trying to get a few books out there that might make somebody feel like, I'm okay and I'm, I'm worthwhile and I'm a human being, if, even mm-hmm. if I'm not the typical white kid in the picture book. But now it's like, uh, it, it's overflowing in the picture book world. And I don't think it's caught up 
to middle grade and YA particularly, but there's a bit more coming in picture books and it's fantastic to see. Definitely. And uh, speaking of uh, of uh, barbershops, I just want to give a quick shout out to CBWI Michigan, which has yes. um, was doing a fundraiser for a Books for Barbers program over the holidays. And I believe that it's going to be a annual or even year round thing. And so we'll be sure to put a link to, to some more information about that in the notes for, for this episode. Yeah, so let's tell people just a little bit. Um, first of all, Jack mentioned SCBWI, which is a hard thing to pronounce, <laughs> but it and it, it's hard to remember what it stands for sometimes, but it stands for the Society for Children's Books Writers and Illustrators. And that is um, a group I think we're all part of as authors. And it's an international group now. So and there's chapters in every state and it brings together writers and illustrators and creators of children's books and people who love to read them. So if you hear us mention SCBWI, that's what it stands for. And then it's a little bit, picking up on what Kelly says, you know, of barbershops being a gathering place, a community place in many communities, um, which has just been reinforced during COVID shutdowns, how hard that is when they're closed. This is a way that when a kid goes to get their haircut, that they're given a free book. Oh, that's great. And there's books that have been um, curated on a list um, for that would be good for kids of different ages. So there's kids, um, there's, there's books that are handed out for preschool age all the way up through high school. Oh, that's neat. And this is just another way to spread book love all over the world. That's great. Mm -hmm. And this is an initiative that was just organized by our local Michigan chapter. So it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with SCBWI National. So there are all these sort of you know little groups um, all around the country and all around the world that are sort of doing their own things in their communities, which is really, um, really fantastic. Um, and also... Um, uh, I remember last year, I actually, uh, right around the time, or maybe this year, this year, last year, is it 2021 yet? It is. We're there. <laughs> um, it, at the be Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, I, I, I remember like right around the time the, the lockdown started, um, SCBWI um, was doing these online seminars um, with authors like Linda Sue Park. Um, and I like, I watched the Linda Sue Park's revision seminar. And, so did I. <laughs> um, yeah. And she's just like a master at her craft. Um, it was just like, I, I felt like I learned so much um, just from that like hour long um, seminar. Um, and so, yeah. So, uh, you know, definitely look up the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. When circumstances are better, we, do have conferences where we meet in person. I believe I met Heather at one of these conferences, probably the Midwest one was where we first met, but it's just a really good, great organization that, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a member of. Yeah. Yeah. We actually met in New York city, Jack. Um, oh, you were right. winning a big award <laughs> at the national SCBWI conference. And uh, yeah, we, we shared lunch in, in a, Grand Central Station area, something like that. Right. <laughs> oh, my that's gosh, right. Wow. Back when you could eat lunch with people that you'd met five seconds ago, you know, <laughs> without a mask on. Yeah. So, yeah. Just to kind of continue the conversation about books we would have loved 
um, as a kid, uh, I was thinking about this topic coming into today. And one of the books I thought of was also a graphic novel, um, American Born Chinese by Jean Yang. Um, and it's, uh, it's a graphic novel that's, uh, it's for YA and it's kind of like patterned and inspired a little bit, um, off of these sort of John Hughes, uh, ask like, you know, uh, movies for teenagers basically. Um, and there's, um, there's a sort of a, a reference to, um, 16 candles where there is a, um, sort of very problematic um, portrayal of uh, an Asian person in that movie. And so, uh, so I, I, I won't give too much away uh, about the book, but it's, uh, it's a book that really very directly um, sort of confronts uh, racism and confronts uh, the main character, one of the main characters. He has this desire to be white um, and he's, uh, he's you know, Chinese American. Um, and so it's very much directly about that. And, and, and thinking about that, I actually don't know if as a kid, I would have been ready for that. Um, even reading it, I, I first read it, I think in my twenties and even reading it in my twenties, like there were parts of it that I just like felt myself turning away from because I wasn't ready to like tackle some of those issues head on. Um, so, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I love the book now and I would like give it to my future children. Um, at the same time, I don't know if I was quite like, would have been quite ready for it as a kid. I do know that some middle grade novels that I've read, um, as an adult that I know I would have loved as a kid are by the author, Rebecca Stead. Um, when you reach me, which is, uh, also a Newbery winner. Yeah. Um, it is, it's just about like time travel and like all these like big mysterious things. I think Rebecca said really excels at writing about these like big, in some cases, you know, it's like, like uh, when you reach me, it's actual time travels, uh, mysterious like that. In other cases, there could be like a mystery in the family relating to one of its members. There's something, you know, that the adult reader might pick up on, that and and they might understand what's going on but to the kid reader and to the kid main character going through that there's just this sense of this just like deep mystery the sense of you know bigger things happening in their lives all around them that i i was really drawn to as a kid um and i think like i would have found something really you know, I, I would have I felt like I would have been captivated by books like When You Reach Me or uh, another one that I, of hers that I love uh, is this book called Liar and Spy. And yeah, there there was would have just been some kind of like gravity or magnetism to, to their books that I wouldn't have been able to explain as a kid. And um, and yeah. And so uh, I highly you know recommend uh, would recommend Rebecca Stead to 10 year old Jack. Mm hmm. You know, it's interesting, Jack, that you mentioned that you loved it when you were in your 20s. And would you actually have been ready for it or loved it as a kid? Because that is something that is so different. And I often wonder that when I discover a book as an adult, I think I would have loved this. Well, would I really? Because kids often have a very quirky sense of what they like or 
Um, or, or sometimes I look back on a book that I adored as a child and I think, wow, that's terrible writing <laughs> or wow, that has no plot or, you know, it, it, it's just like, why did I love it so much? Because it's hard actually. I mean, kids are, are, um, I mean, their personalities are all different, of course, but they're different humans than we are too, even our own selves. So yeah, it, it can be dangerous territory to say what we would love as a kid. It's an excellent um, point also Jack and saying what I would have been ready for. Um, so that triggered something in me because one of my favorites right now is The Hate You Give by Andy Thomas. And I'm thinking, oh, for sure, I would have loved that. And I probably would have uh, at a younger age, at the YA um, age level. Um, but it actually made me think when you said that, would I have been ready <laughs> mm -hmm. for that? Some of my favorites growing up uh, was Mildred D. Taylor. I read everything that she wrote multiple times over and over, even into mm -hmm. adulthood. And I could easily consider Angie Thomas to be the modern day Mildred D. Taylor with that particular piece. So tragic that the same issues are still in play um, and, and that books like that have to be written. But I for sure did give it to my daughter. She was probably 14 at the time, I wanna say, 13, 14, um, just because it, was a captivating story that was extremely relevant. And for me, I listened to the audiobook before I even read the, the, the book hmm. um, in my hands per se. And from there I was hooked because it, I don't know if I've had that experience as strong where it just felt like home in the book. Mm -hmm. Even though the main character stars experiences, not all of them were mine, it just felt like home and it felt like family. And she did an excellent job, um, Angie Thomas, of conveying that so many emotions hmm. in that in that book. But it's something to consider what I've been ready um, mm -hmm. at an earlier age with any title that we like now as adults. What did your daughter think? She loved it. Mm -hmm. That's loved what I'm it. finding with teens is yeah. that they love it, um, whatever their race, that it's just grabs them. Mm -hmm. Yep. She absolutely loved it. Did you guys uh, move on to On the Come Up? Yes, she read that too. We saw the movie for The Hate You Give. Uh, that one is just number one to me. And I'm excited about um, Concrete Rose coming up um, in a few days now, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. I'm excited for that one. I, th I thought the audio for On the Come Up was one of the best audio books I've oh, heard. Wow. The, the actor was just on she was just on fire she was unbelievable I wish I knew her name right now but it was just like the perfect match of there's just a flow and a poetry to Angie Thomas's writing in that in that book mm -hmm. especially I think because that was the topic it was all it was about a hip-hop artist on the on the rise and um mm -hmm. but the actor that they cast to read it is just unbelievable it's so exciting that book on the oh. I'm curious now. I haven't listened to that one. I wonder if it's the same. Um, yeah, I'm not as the hate you give because if if it is, I understand completely what you're saying because that's oh, what okay. She did so maybe for the first yeah, I'm gonna one. look that up now too and see yeah. if it's the same actor. Um, Bonnie Turpin, I think is how you say her name. Oh wow, yeah, yeah she killed it. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know what you mentioned too about the audiobook. I'm finding that's something I think I would have loved as a kid was just audiobooks. Mm, yeah. Um, the very first one I ever listened to was actually E.B. White reading his own um, Charlotte's Web. And 
you know, I thought, I, I, I guess audiobooks weren't a big thing when I was growing up at all. There were, um, I have some visually impaired people in my family, so we knew about the talking books, but that was a service for the blind. It wasn't something that regular people listened to books unless someone read to you out loud. But having a book that you just listened to wasn't a big thing. And so it took me till I was an adult for somebody to say, you've never heard E.B. White read his own manuscript of Charlotte's Web? I said, no. And so get this nice, deep, rumbly (laughs) bass voice reading Charlotte's Web was really cool. And then I got hooked on audiobooks. Um, And of course, the actors in a well-done audiobook are just extraordinary. Um, I love listening to audiobooks and it's a especially like Kelly if it's a book I already love I will listen to it again mm-hmm. by audiobook I usually read the book first in print and then if I love it I will get the audiobook version and listen to it again and it's like a completely new experience yeah. Yeah. of that book mm-hmm. and I fall in love with it at an even deeper level I actually did the the opposite listen to <laughs> audio first then I read it and then I listened to the audio again <laughs> So yeah, this first time I ever did it like that. And uh, growing up, we had a record player. So I remember listening to mm. <laughs> the record of um, Alice in Wonderland. Like that is um. etched in my mind at, at bedtime, listening to that record. Uh, that <laughs> dates me a little bit. That's okay. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it, and it's harder to have a record player, say, in a car. Yeah, so now, true. Now you right, can yeah. listen to audiobook. One thing I do with audiobooks now is I was doing this with Suzanne Collins, not The Hunger Games. She's the author of those, but the, her books for young kids for middle grade the gregor and the under underworld uh series of five books that she wrote and i listened to those on audiobook as i was driving to pick up kids or doing errands and i would only hear maybe five minutes at a time or three and a half minutes at a time because didn't have to go very far and as i listened and i'd already read them i learned a lot as a writer about tension Hmm. Because when I got to my kid's school or I got to the post office, I had to stop and turn it off. I didn't really want the kids to pick up the story in the middle because that's that's no fun. You want to read it from the beginning. So this was my private story that I'd listened to in between in these short little snatches. And as I was listening, I said, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to hear the next sentence. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. why is that? And then I'd start mm-hmm. analyzing what she was doing. So I do. I, I mean, I'm sure you all do this, too. When you're reading a book, I find that I, I can understand how the author creates the structure of the story even better through audio listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have an interesting story about listening to an audio book, and that is I was at a re or at a. I was at an event with author uh, Jack Chang in, <laughs> in attendance. He was on a panel, and uh, they gave out a CD of his book. And I, I had a friend that had it, and I think I, maybe I ended up with it. Um, or I was excited to hear it. So she's like, you li- listen to it first. So I took it. And um, I had it in the car uh, driving the kids around. And um, I thought oh my god the talking you're talking about structure the structure of this book is fascinating and um it was like jumping around in time just all over the place and i didn't realize that i had the the cd set on shuffle so i i heard jack's book completely out of order the whole the whole just like cd after cd just like completely out of order and um jacket totally held together 
I don't <laughs> like you. You couldn't like you couldn't imagine somebody doing that to your book, wow. <laughs> like experiencing I'm, your book that way. But it was crazy. It actually worked. And then, of course, I went back and read it and said, OK, this makes a lot more sense. But <laughs> but um, there's my uh, <laughs> there's my story of listening to <laughs> listening to Jack's book. Totally out of, but that's another like really I love the reading of the, the actors that they got to do your book, Jack. It, it really came out beautifully, I think. Yeah, they did a, a really um, tremendous job with that, and um, and and first of all, I'm I'm really glad to hear that it it held up <laughs> um, <laughs> under those challenging I, I circumstances. Think, <laughs> I think when you first told me that story, I might have said something like, "Oh, I'll have to try that," and I just like I couldn't bear to try it because I didn't yeah. want to find out how terrible it was going to be. Um, but I'm really glad, to, yeah, to, to hear um, that it it held up. Um, yeah, so with my audio, uh, the audio book for, for my book for See You in the Cosmos, um, you know, going, even going in when my agent and I were shopping the manuscript around, I was like asking her, like, what can we do to like make sure that they don't mess up the audio book? Because the, the entire book is told as recordings that this, uh, right. this boy is making on his iPod. So the, the audio book was like very important to me. Um, and luckily, um, the publisher, um, had sort of the same uh, vision um, for it that you know that I had um, in some ways you know their vision for it was even like grander than than what I was imagining at first um, and um, in the last uh, the the podcast series I did uh, around the creation of that book one of the episodes is about the audiobook and oh, wow. um, where I talked to the audiobook producer, Karen Jakonski, um, over at Penguin Random House Audio, um, who has, and she's like, you know, worked with Tom Hanks and like, you know, so many people uh, on their audiobooks. And we, we talk about some of the process. And one of the funniest, most amusing bits of that process was I, I had a little bit of involvement in sort of just giving feedback on some of the, you know, the people that they were casting. But there's a, there's a, character in the book Zed and he's taken a vow, vow of silence so most of his sort of you know dialogue in the book comes in the form of these like parenthetical like sound effects that he's making and and a lot of times he'll be like laughing and so I I they sent me auditions from a couple of different voice actors of just them doing various laughs and that is just like um, it. I, I, I just the other day I went back and I listened. I was like listening to some of those episodes again to hopefully transcribe them. And it was just like it, you know, cracked me up just <laughs> the same as the first time I, I heard them. So <laughs> did you like the final laugh? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, I think it's like it's very startling uh, to hear it. And I don't think I can't imagine a way it wouldn't be startling because it's a completely you know, it's the first time you're hearing the character in the story and you don't know what his voice sounds like up until that point because he hasn't spoken. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, my hat is off to you, Jack. I mean, to create an audio book where one of the main characters has a vow of silence <laughs> and yeah, he's a, he's a pretty main character. Yeah. It's um, it's fairly not totally rare, but fairly rare to have multiple voice actors do a book. But like you say, to have it work with the protagonist reading into his iPod and have it have that really stick out it, mm -hmm. you kind of need those other actors to be separate and and um 
I'm, I'm, I'm really glad too, that they went all the way mm. with that aspect of it. It made a big difference to have multiple actors reading it. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. So there's something you said earlier, Patrick, in your story about having Jack's book on shuffle made me wonder about how the rest of you write. Do you kind of write on shuffle? In other words, do you sometimes write a chapter in the middle or a part that just comes to you and then you go back and do a beginning chapter? I would say very rarely, if never. There's been times where I have something that I want to portray from the ending. And so I'll just kind of jot that down, but then go right back to where I was. So I typically do not as all over the place as I am <laughs> in writing. I don't, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I do Kelly about the same as you. I, I have an idea about the ending or I'll start making a couple notes and put it in a file Yeah. or, or but then I, I do go generally in order. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, it, you almost don't want to write it down before you're there. You don't want to yeah. lose it, but you don't want to write it down um, too soon. That's how I feel about it. Uh -huh. I, I think for me, um, the, I've tried, I've tried doing that. I've tried sort of jotting down fragments and working on individual scenes, but they haven't yet. I haven't yet been able to just sort of assemble them in a way that is coherent to the story. And so I'll usually, that'll usually be like a first attempt. And then I'll just have to go back and just rewrite the whole thing from the beginning to the end. And I guess like, you know how sometimes they say that there are like two types of writers, there's the architects and the gardeners and the architects do meticulous planning and pot plotting and the gardeners just like sort of watch, watch, you know, plant the seeds and watch them grow. I think I'm definitely more of a gardener writer mm. in that like I can't it's like I can't fit all those different rooms together yet or like I don't have that capability yet. And so I think, yeah, it's more of it's something I've tried and hope to get better at in the future. But for now, it's just I just start from the beginning and go to the end. Yeah, I've heard uh, plotter and pantser. Mm -hmm. Is that the other? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See to your pants or do you plot it out? <laughs> I am. Um, I just have written so slowly and my in my first two novels I was just like I've got these characters what could I imagine happening and this is going to happen sometimes later but I've got it on my mind so I'm just going to write it right now so I put off writing the things that were going to be the hardest that I didn't know and and stuck to those beats that I had a real image of so it meant I wrote totally out of order um and uh then in an attempt on my third novel to write faster I um, plotted the whole thing out. I got the the hero's emotional journey and like wow. could combine <laughs> that with my plot. And and it's basically in the end turned out to be the same process as I had before. <laughs> like I tried to write out that plot and that journey. And and um, I didn't I, I for me, writing is such a process of discovery and figuring out mm -hmm. what I'm trying to learn and what's going on and what the story needs to be that it ends up. Uh, I end up being a really messy all over the place, mm -hmm. slow writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that just brought it to mind because you talked about hearing the book on shuffle. And I would I know some people write books on shuffle. The only yeah, thing that I sure. do out of order, really, is once I get to the end. I go back and rewrite chapter one. 
because, or at least the opening pages, because I, I really feel that my books, I, I bookend my books and that my ending ties into my beginning. Uh, so I almost always write my first chapter last and it doesn't really matter how my first chapter starts because I know I'm going to go back over that first chapter once I get to the very end of the book. It's neat. It gives you this license to get past that first chapter. You just know, hey, I'm going to be coming back to this. I'm going to be working it out. Yep. And and so you can just get right into the guts of the book in the second, third chapters really fast, as opposed to really trying to craft the perfect opening. Right. But you know, that makes me think about perfect openings. There are so many books that have beautiful <laughs> openings. And one of the books that... Um, on the topic of books that I wish I had read as a kid. Um, it's a pretty new book. I think it came out in 2019. It's called For Black Girls Like Me. And the first opening sentence just sucked me right in. It's, I, if I have it remembered correctly, it's, I am a girl, but most days I feel like a question mark. Oh. Hmm. And it's uh, beautiful writing. Um, I believe that author is Mariana Lockington. And that that book has a lot of lyrical writing and wonderful. I don't know if anyone else knows that story, but that that opening, she nailed it. And the rest of the book, too, in my opinion. That's on my to read uh, list for sure. Yeah. Any other books that you think we should just mention now we can circle back to this topic in other episodes because we're we're planning to talk about children's lit <laughs> for, <the laughs> for long on haul. and on and on. Yeah, we'll have to do a whole episode at least on audiobooks as well. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, we've talked about audiobooks, we've talked about graphic novels, and we've talked about you know um, books that were like short books, like A Single Shard. And and we also talked about, you know, books that we might not have been, might have been ready for or might not have been ready for as a kid. And I think it really speaks to the fact that there are so many different entry points into reading and into stories. And just because something isn't right for you or for your kid, it doesn't necessarily it mean that it isn't right for someone else, or it might not be right at a different time in you know, a person's life. And so I think, you know, I, I strongly encourage, you know, any different entry point into readings and into stories. And I think maybe one reason that some kids don't read more is that they just haven't met the right book. Mm-hmm. That's right. For them, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what like teachers and librarians and parents and, and that's what we're here, we're here for. Yeah to hopefully like put more, you know, more kids and teens in contact with those, those books and stories that will cultivate a lifelong, you know, love for reading in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know where it's going to come. I I love recommending books to kids and I do read aloud to my kids and give them just a whole variety of different kinds of books. And uh, just this week, my 12-year-old found a book that I think just shot him off to the moon. He was so excited. His entire body was electric and he was talking about it for days. And he said, you know, it's his most favorite book ever. And he's had other books that he loves, but this was just, it, it, his, his skin was tingling with excitement. And it was just fascinating to watch. And it was all because his brother was dressed up in a panda suit. So he saw this book that I gave to him a couple of years ago called Pandemonium. It's by Stuart oh. Gibbs, who wrote the Spy School series. I haven't read those ones, actually, but he was so taken with Pandemonium. I think it's book four of a series, but he just jumped right in. And now he is 
so desperate for the library to reopen so that he can get the other books <laughs> in the series. <laughs> but yeah, when you never know what book it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's more than one book for kids. But once your entire body has had this electrifying experience, um, he couldn't go to sleep. He was so anxious for the days to go by so he could get the next book by this author. So um, try all mm-hmm. kinds of books and and your favorites will and sometimes they're slow favorites. Maybe they're not going to electrify you today, but they're the book that keeps sticking with you 30, 40 years later. Yeah. Mm. And that's all okay. Yeah. You know. Any parting thoughts to leave with people? Just keep on reading. If you're a writer out there listening, uh, read. just read. stick to it. Go at it. Hit us up with uh, thoughts and questions and ideas and uh, keep keep on going. Yeah. Be word smitten. (laughs) Whether you're a writer or a reader, just keep on loving those words and loving those books up. There you go. (laughs) We are book smitten. We are happy to be with you. We're Heather Shoemaker, Kelly J. Baptist, Jack Chang, and Patrick Flory Scott. We'll see you next time on another episode. Send us your ideas to our email, which is hello at booksmitten.us. See you on the bookshelf. Bye. Bye. See you.